Hello, everybody, and this is Just For Sport. For your viewing and betting pleasure, of course, Jamoke Davis here for the Props Network. I appreciate everyone that is watching live right now on YouTube, Twitch, or Facebook on the Props Network channels or listening on the podcast. Thank you very much for the support. Another great show for you today. A lot to get into and I normally on Thursday you know my usual thing is my Fantastic Four but there's so many good games it's hard for me to pick four NFL games that I want to dive into but I'm gonna pick four I'm gonna pick four we're also gonna talk about the NFL futures who uh, as I was looking at these tight races uh, and, and not all division uh matchups this weekend but we got Patriots Chargers you know Patriots 6 and 6 are they you know making a turn for the better you know who knows i mean right now they run the table they could finish the season season 2 and 6 and who would have thought that so we're going to talk about NFL futures and division winners Vikings Bucks that's another good game you know playoffs are at stake here also we got Bo knows college football and basketball we're going to talk about number nine UGA at number 25 Mizzou ACC matchup between yeah we'll talk Pitt and Georgia Tech but realistically the matchup that you know has any implications when it comes to the ACC being represented the BCS championship comes down to you know uh, one of those games is number 17 USC UNC excuse me at number 10 Miami so we'll talk about that uh, as we mentioned last week we'll talk about Navy Army and the Big Ten changing their rules for Ohio State. Then as we shift to college basketball, I stayed up late, late, late and watched a great finish by my University of Pittsburgh Panthers beating the Northwestern Wildcats. Didn't lead all game until the last 30 seconds of the game. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And Coach K, Duke's coach, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, wondering if we should kind of postpone college basketball. So we'll talk about that as well with Bo and the NBA. I'm going to give my predictions for what teams I think will make the tournament, will make the playoffs in the East and West of the NBA. I've got my eight picks plus a couple of bubble teams that will talk about their futures on DraftKings.com. And, of course, family time. This time is just going to be my dad, but I love my dad. And he is going to come on, and we're going to be talking League recap, Manchester United versus Manchester City, the Manchester Derby, Everton-Chelsea, and the MLS Cup final between Columbus Crew and the Seattle Sounders. And I'm going to finish with Devil's Advocate talking about the U.S. Women's National Team in soccer. Sports you don't care about, you definitely, I don't know if you'll care about this one, but we'll talk about it. And then we got trivia coming up and maybe a little story time. So we got a pack show. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for watching us live. And, of course, you can certainly join in the conversation, join the chat, and we can talk. 
uh, or I'll do the talking and, and you can listen on, you know, type away, you know, have the keyboard courage you need to join the chat with me and we can talk. We can talk that way. All right. NFL futures. So as I was looking at the matchups for today or this weekend, excuse me, and the matchup tonight. I was noticing, as we all are, come on, it's not like anything nobody else noticed, but I love this time of the season where, you know, the standings, each game is crucial. In the NFC West, you know, the Seahawks and Rams are only two games up on the Cardinals, and the Cardinals play at the Giants, and the Giants are tied with the Washington football team in first place in the NFC East. So that's a tight race for both of them. Packers, not so much. They're nine and three, and the Vikings are six and six. But the Vikings play the Bucs, and the Bucs are seven and five. So both of them are looking at their playoff seeding as who can win their division. Then we've got uh, Bills and Dolphins. The Bills are nine and three. Dolphins are a game behind them, and the Patriots are six and six, two games behind them. And the Chiefs play at the Dolphins. The Steelers play at the Bills. The Bills and Dolphins have to win because, of course, if the Patriots win at the Chargers and they're seven and six and the Dolphins are eight and five and the Bills end up nine and four, hello, watch out. Patriots have won two in a row. Tennessee and Colts are both tied at eight and four. The Browns, the Steelers lost a game. They're 11 and 1, and the Browns are 9 and 3, two games back. The Ravens are four games back, so I know that's a little tougher, but you know, the Ravens have an easier schedule. So there's a chance they, they have a higher probability of making the playoffs than the Browns, with the Browns being two games away. If the Steelers don't win at the Bills and they are a game behind, the Browns have won four in a row. Again, there you go. Another game where you're like, woo, this is crucial. And the Colts play at the Raiders. The Raiders are seven and five. The Colts are eight and four. The playoff picture, it's coming into view, but it's a lot more difficult. So what I wanted to look at is going to DraftKings and the NFL futures and looking at the division winners. Who's going to win the divisions? Now, we start with the – I'm looking at the tough matchup. The, the, the divisions where it's close enough where every game matters. And right now, that is the NFC East where the Giants and Washington are both 5-7. and seven. Five and seven. The Giants are minus 143 to win the NFC East. And the Washington football team are looking outside, on the outside, at plus 140. And that's a tough one. I, you know, obviously, look, not that you didn't know this if you haven't been listening to the show, but of course I am a Washington football team fan. But I am strictly looking at the opponents here. And I see a Giants team that's got a tough road ahead of them. 
a very, very, very tough road ahead of them. When you look at their schedule, now they play well. You got the Cardinals on Sunday that are trying to get into the playoffs after you, the Giants flew all the way to Seattle and crushed them. I mean, defensively, just shut them down. They won 17 to 12. But you got the Cardinals at home, which could be a hiccup game if you're, you know, riding high because you beat Seattle and not really realize that the Cardinals are a hungry team too. Then you've got the Browns, which are fighting for their playoff life. But again, in New York City, so MetLife Stadium will be bumping the next two weekends. Then you play at the Ravens, and you end the season against the Cowboys. And the Cowboys would love probably nothing more than to knock the Giants out of the playoffs, probably more so than Washington football team. But the Washington football team's already won both games against said Cowboys. So then we look at the Washington football team. They play at the 49ers this weekend. Then they play the Seahawks at home. Last Seahawks game, I remember, was a playoff game when RG3 got hurt. Oh, boy, that was rough. That's the last game I remember. That was pretty exciting. But they play the Seahawks in Washington. Then they end the season against the Panthers at home. I see two teams, one team in the Seahawks, that, you know, no game is a gimme. No game would I ever say that the Seattle Seahawks are going to give it, you know, give away a game. But I could see a team that, you know, maybe if they win this weekend, maybe, you know, the Washington football team beat the Steelers. They saw what the Giants did to the Seahawks. They can get that win. And then they end the season against, well, right now they are 4-8 and eight Carolina Panthers. That should be a win. Ron Rivera going against his former team to end the season. So in this, I'm taking the Washington football team at plus 140 to win the NFC East. How crazy would that be? How crazy would that be considering where this team started, where the season started for the NFC East as a whole, saying it's the worst division, and not that it's any better right now, but I still feel like, you know what? I would be, I could see a scenario where the Washington football team wins the NFC East. So then I go to the AFC East. We've got the Buffalo Bills at minus 1,115. The Dolphins at plus 700 and the Patriots at plus 2,000. Why not just take the Patriots? If you can get it at plus 2,000, the Bills are playing the Steelers. If they lose that game and the Patriots are a game out and you can get the Patriots who still have Bill Belichick and Cam Newton seems to be, you know, maybe they're playing better how about that all three of these teams have won two in a row so let's see if they you know can all three win again but i'm i might take the patriots with that bet i might take the patriots with that bet next one the afc south we've got the titans and colts indianapolis colts at both at eight and four both at eight and four you can get the Titans at minus 200 or the Colts at plus 150. That's a little bit of a tighter race. 
The Colts play at the Raiders versus the Texans and then at the Steelers. To me, that's a tough schedule. Because even the Texans should not be as bad as they are this year, and they came within the fumble away from winning last week. I think that's a tough schedule. The Titans, but the Titans are, to me, heading in the wrong direction. But their schedule is easier. They play at the Jaguars versus the Lions, and then they play at the Packers. So if they can right the ship in many ways, I think I'm going to stick with the Titans at minus 200. So I'm taking the Titans at minus 200. I'm going to take a flyer on the Patriots at plus 2,000 because they're breathing on the necks of the Dolphins and Bills. And I think this weekend will be will be key for both of those teams. And I think the Chiefs beat the Dolphins in Miami. Now, I do think I I'm, I think the Bills can beat the Steelers. But the Steelers are a very formidable opponent. Formidable opponent. Now, if you want to take another flyer, you could try the Browns at plus 1,200, although I don't see the Steelers losing many more in opening the window any more than it is for the Browns. But if the Bills beat the Steelers, as I said, the Browns are a game behind. So if you want to take another flyer, take one on the Browns at plus 1,200. At plus 1,200. Rams, Seahawks are both tied as well in the NFC West. You can get the Rams at minus 155 or the Seahawks at plus 125. Now, I look at this schedule, and you got the Jets. That's a win for the Seahawks. Then, as I mentioned, you got at the football team. Washington has a formidable defense, and we saw what the Giants' defense did To Seattle. If Washington can do that too, man, that's a tough one. But the NFL, you got to hand it to the people who schedule these games in pretty much all sports. Uh, you know, basketball does a good job of it, baseball and football, final game of the year versus the Rams. Both of these teams very well may be tied and playing each other. And maybe that could determine who's going to win the NFC West. So you got the Rams at minus 155 and the Seahawks at plus 125. If I look at that schedule, and then I'm looking at the Rams. Both teams are 8-4. and four. The Rams play the Patriots this weekend, then the Jets, and that's the Seahawks. We'll get into my picks. Next. But that's, whew, that's a tough one. Those are some good games. Good games. All right. Now, let's go with my Fantastic Four. So my Fantastic Four that I, I'm choosing are Patriots at Chargers, Vikings at Buccaneers, Cardinals at Giants, and Washington at 49ers. I picked those games because I think, one, I think the Chiefs beat the Dolphins easily. Colts Raiders is a good one. But I like these matchups for what's at stake for the teams and Steelers at Bills. Steelers, 
you know, I, uh, they have a better chance of winning. Better chance of winning. Okay, so Patriots at the Chargers. Excuse me, at the Rams. Excuse me. No, I said Chargers. My apologies. This game is tough for me to decide on in many ways because I'm wondering what Patriots team is going to show up. That's the key for me. The Patriots offense is ranked 22nd. The Rams offense is ranked 3rd. And the Rams defense is ranked 2nd. I'm looking at this game and everything except for the rushing game lends itself to say, oh, this is an easy one. You go with the Rams to win and cover. You go with the Rams to win and cover. But it's also Bill Belichick, right? I mean, you can't discredit Bill Belichick. I don't know if you want to. The Rams are favored at minus four and a half. The over-under is 44. You can get that minus four and a half at minus 110 on DraftKings. And you have the over-under at 44. Money line, Patriots plus 193. Rams minus 225. can also get that money line New England at plus 180. But I think in this game, it's hard not to think about Bill Belichick having something up his sleeve. Jared Goff has a 46.1 passer rating this season when under pressure. He's getting better, but uh, against this, the Patriots and what Bill Belichick will concoct as an evil genius, I just don't know. The Patriots have won four of their last five games. They've committed the fewest penalties this season. The Rams offense and defense, the Rams offense is high-powered, averaging 28.3 points per game. That is the highest under the Sean McVay era by any head coach with a minimum of 50 games. But Cam Newton, lowest winning percentage and passer rating of any New England quarterback since Tom Brady. I don't know if that stat matters. But he certainly isn't Tom Brady is what I want to get at. And that game is tonight on Fox at 820. In my mind, when I look at these two teams, the Patriots are 10-5 and five against the spread when they've been spotted this many points. I believe that their defense will come to play against new against the uh, Rams here. 
I think the travel West Coast hurts the Patriots. Jarrett Goff, they had a 38 to 28 win in Arizona. I believe that in this scenario, taking everything into account, the total has gone under in seven of LA's last nine games. New England 6-0 straight up, 5-1 against the spread in their last six games against LA. I, in the end, I'm going to... Take the Rams to win, but I don't know. I like the the Patriots at plus four and a half. I don't see them blowing out the Patriots. I'll take the Patriots and the points, plus four and a half. And I'll take the under at 44. I'll take the under at 44. That's where I'm going. All right, next game, Vikings. At the Buccaneers, we've got the six and six Minnesota Vikings against the seven and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Which, by the way, let's also not forget, no one ever expected it to only be a game in the Brady Belichick standings, right? New England six and six, one game behind the Buccaneers. That's not good. We've got the Vikings in the fourth rank offense against. The 18th rank offense in the Buccaneers, the 7th rank defense in the Buccaneers against the 23rd rank defense in the Vikings. This is, when you consider how poorly the Buccaneers have played at home, I am leaning towards the offense of the Vikings. They're playing at one o'clock in Raymond James Stadium. The Buccaneers have had a bye week to try to prepare for Minnesota. Minnesota has eked out wins. They haven't exactly been stellar in my mind. But they are winning. That's the bottom line. They are winning. Um, And that's a good thing for Vikings fans. I don't expect Dalvin Cook to have a good game. So that means that you're going to need Justin Jefferson, who's been great as a, a young rising star. And Adam Thielen, and of course, Kirk Cousins. They're going to have to play well. Three losses in four games for Tampa. They're three and three straight up and against the spread heading into this game. And the defense is allowing just under 30 points per game, which doesn't, which doesn't bode well for... Brady to think, okay, we can have a mediocre game. No, they're going to need 
everybody on their their offense needs to be clicking. That's the bottom line. Brady's going to be spreading the ball around to Gronk, Evans, Antonio Brown. He's going to need everybody to step up. He's going to need everybody to step up. Kirk Cousins has 15 touchdown passes and two interceptions since week eight. Tom Brady's 14-4 and four in his career following a bye week, but this is the first one with the Bucs, so that's kind of different. The Vikings are one of three teams with five-plus wins and 27 points per game since week eight. Kansas City and New Orleans are the other two. The Buccaneers have not allowed a 100-yard rusher since week nine, and the Vikings have not allowed a 100-yard receiver since week seven. So as I'm looking at this game, we've got the, the Vikings at minus six and a half, the over under at 51 and a half, the Buccaneers at minus six and a half, excuse me if I said Vikings. I think this game will be closer. So I'm taking the Vikings at plus six and a half. I think we end up with like a field goal difference coming down to the last second. And I'm going to take the over at 51 and a half. That's what I'm taking. Next game, we've got the Cardinals at the Giants. Cardinals are favorite at one and a half at minus 110, over under at 45. Woo, that's a tight game. The six and six Cardinals against the five and seven Giants. See how I'm picking these games where the where not only they may not be divisional games, but like their records are so close. I'm going to be glued to the red zone because there's a lot to watch. A lot to watch. The Cardinals offense is ranked six. The Giants offense is ranked 31st. But their defense is ranked 10th. And the Cardinals defense is ranked 18th. Boy, that's that's a tough one. One and a half. The Cardinals have not played great. This game's at 1 p.m. on Fox. The Giants have allowed fewer than 20 points in three straight games, so their defense is playing well. Kyler Murray is 11 and 5 in his career in his career in games with six plus carries. Oh, 11 and 1 with five or fewer carries. This game is an easy game for me to pick, and I shouldn't. I'm sure as, as soon as I said, I'm like, what are you talking about? But the thing for me is the way that the Giants were able to stifle. The Seahawks last week, I think they will do the same this week. I will take the Giants at plus one and a half. I will take the under at 45. And my final game is a Washington football team at the 49ers. The 49ers are favored favored at minus three and a half, over under at 43 and a half. You've got two five and seven teams. This could be it. This could be it. Whoever loses this game 
you know, especially if the Giants win and, and the Washington football team loses, like this, this could be that game that you really, really need it. We've got the Washington football team and the 26th rank offense and the 14th rank offense in the 49ers, but two stellar defenses. Washington's ranked fourth, 49ers are ranked sixth. And the weird thing is, everybody, you know, all of my friends and family and buddies were like jumping up for joy that the Washington football team beat the Steelers. And I was like, slow your roll. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It was a game. It was a game. And a game where, frankly, the Steelers were one completion away from sealing a victory. But I digress. Bottom line is Washington won, and I'm happy because they're still in first place. You got to love that when your home team is in first place. My wife's home team is in first place, too. The key with Washington is we don't know about Antonio Gibson. He was banged up in the Steelers game. Let's see what's going to happen with him. He had just two carries in that in that Washington win over the Steelers. Smith has played, in my mind, brilliantly. Comeback player of the year, hands down, considering you know where he was before. But Gibson questionable with the turf toe. Alex Smith, the game is on your shoulders. Going up against Kyle Shanahan, a former Washington football team uh, offensive coordinator. And I'm sure in many ways felt like he could and should be the head coach of the Washington football team. But it wasn't meant to be. There are injuries on the 49ers as well with Garoppolo and Kittle. I think this game could go either way. Boy. Remember, San Francisco is playing in Arizona, so it's not really a home game for the 49ers. Nick Mullins as the QB for... The 49ers is going to be playing a formidable defense with Chase Chase Young. I'm leaning toward the Washington football team here. Coming off of that win against the Steelers, I think their confidence is riding high. I think defense can carry them. Terry McLaurin is a really dynamic wide receiver. I'm going to take Washington at plus three and a half. I'll take those points. And I will also take the under at 43 and a half. And there you go. There are my NFL Fantastic Four. I just want to quickly say, I think Chiefs will beat the Dolphins. I think Raiders beat the Colts. I think Bills beat the Steelers. And there are all of my picks. All right, when we come back, we are going to be talking college football, college basketball. We got some picks for you in some games, but we also have some stories. Uh, my thoughts on Coach K's 
you know, him saying maybe we need to reevaluate the college basketball season and, and also if Ohio State, if the Big Ten should have been over backwards for them. So we'll discuss that on the other side. But first, are you located in a state with legal online sports betting? Don't make a bet this season before you visit thepropsnetwork.com. Thepropsnetwork.com has you covered with free bets and special bonus deal for from all the top U.S. online sports book. Get $30 in free bets and up to a $600 risk-free bet at Unibet. Or you could claim up to a $1,000 signing bonus bundle from DraftKings Sportsbook. Or try PointsBet Sportsbook with four risk-free bets totaling up to $1,000 using promo code BONUSPROPS. It's four risk-free bets. The Props Network is also the only betting news site with live NFL odds for every game. That's the only betting news site. So you can shop the comps and know you are getting the biggest payout possible before you lock in your bet. Do your bankroll a favor and check out thepropsnetwork.com. You must be 21 or over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. So we're bringing in Bo. We've got some college football to talk. Hi, Bo. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Ready you doing all right? Yeah. Doing well. Enjoying, enjoying Hanging a little downtime here. A little downtime. A little downtime. I'm enjoying sports. Just a bit. Just a bit. Just a little bit. All right, let's first talk about Pittsburgh at Georgia Tech. We've got... The Pittsburgh Panthers at at five and five, three, six, and one against the spread. The Yellow Jackets, three and six, four and five against the spread. In my mind, of course, I would almost always say I'm rooting for Pittsburgh. I mean, how could I not? But they are playing uh, down at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Do you think, do you think that in any way whatsoever, that Georgia Tech has a chance. They're at plus seven, over under a 54 and a half. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be somewhat competitive, right? I don't think this is going to be a an absolute walk in the park for Pitt. Um, you know, seven-point favorites here, full touchdown. Georgia Tech is an interesting team to me. Um, I think they looked a little bit better earlier in the year, second year under Jeff Collins, who's I think was a great hire for them. Uh, a few years ago, but, you know, I think that they rely a little bit too much on the run game for me. And when you're matching up with a pit team, even without, you know, star defensive end Rashad Weaver, who's going to take the rest of the season off to prepare for the draft. I think that the rest of that defensive front and the rest of that defense is still, they, they excel against the run, right? That's where they make their money. That's where they make their bread. And so I think, you know, Georgia Tech relying so much, they average something close to 200 rushing yards per game. That's where the Georgia Tech offense lives and dies. And I think in this case, it's not a great, you know, matchup on paper for for Tech's offense. Uh, the offenses, Pittsburgh is scoring 28 points per game, over just over 28, and Georgia Tech is at 24 I, th- I just feel like it's an easy game to say Pitt will win and cover. I think they're the better team, and I'm also going to take the under. What do you think? Yeah, they're they're for sure the the better team. I don't think many people are going to argue about that. Um, they also do kind of have something to play for. 
um, this late in the season, which I think is, you know, a rarity this year. Um, you know, they're trying to get to six and five, you know, given how many expectations they had for themselves and they had outside the program as well. I think that that kind of chip of at least trying to get to over 500 is still there. Mm-hmm. And still trying to, you know, quiet some of the chatter that's been going around this team. Um, Georgia Tech, obviously, I don't think has as much motivation to really come out, but they're always trying to improve. They're always trying to get better. Like I said, in the second year under their head coach, um, 54 and a half, I think is an interesting number. Um, I think I probably see Georgia Tech covering seven. Um, you know, Pitt has been explosive at some points this season, you know, basically in two or three games, you look at that last ACC, um, home game. For the Panthers when they, you know, just blew out Virginia Tech. Um, and they looked decent against Clemson. You know, it, the, I don't think the scoreline really indicated how close that game was at some points, just because of the three um, first quarter interceptions and Clemson obviously scoring 31 in that quarter. Um, but, you know, I think that I think that oh, that explosiveness isn't going to travel well. Um, 54 and a half, that's an interesting number. I would probably lean towards I think it's mm, that's really an intriguing number Mm -hmm. because I think I don't see Georgia Tech scoring more than 20 and so I just said that they're going to cover right so I kind of have to go (laughs) here because you know that would make it like a 27 20 ish game which is you know under 54 and a half but I don't know. I think I think it really could end up either way. I'm not I'm not on solid footing here. Mm-hmm. It's tough when they when Georgia Tech has won outside of the first game against FSU. They won 16-13. In their wins, they've scored 46 points and 56 points. Yeah. When they win, they score a lot of points in my mind. Now, right. granted, it's been they large span in between, but this also was a postponed game that they are in some ways making yep. up. It's tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, no Thursday night action. No Thursday night action. Their last game they lost at NC State 23-13, to so maybe you could kind of look at that game and say, okay, well, you know, they're – you know, they're not going to bounce back. They're going to have a, a another loss, but then, of course, you look at Pitt and they just lost to Clemson 52-17 wow. a couple weeks ago. But, I mean, they've got some time to prepare for this game that I I feel like they are the better team. And even in their losses, unlike Georgia Tech, you look at Pitt's losses, you know, one game they scored 29, next one they scored 31. Uh, 19 points isn't bad, still in the loss, but you get 19, you know, they did only score three points against Notre Dame, but I think without even their starting quarterback. Yes, without, you know, so I think that they can put up more points even if they are not the favorite. They still have been in games competitively compared to uh Georgia Tech. So I'm picking I'm right. picking Pitt. Absolutely. I'm taking the over too. All right. All right. Okay, next game up, we've got number nine, the Georgia Bulldogs at the Missouri Tigers. Woo! This should be fun. We've got Georgia at minus 13 and a half, over under 54 and a half. What are your early uh, thoughts on the game? 
my early thoughts on the game are how is Georgia still at number nine? I mean, I think it's, I think, you know, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I think it's an absolute travesty um, that Indiana, a one loss Indiana, whose only loss is to a playoff bound Ohio state that their one loss, a one touchdown loss to Ohio state keeps them three spots below a two loss Georgia team um, that got blown out by Alabama that, uh, they lost to, I'm trying to remember, Florida, I think, again, in another big loss. I don't know how Georgia is still ahead of Indiana in the rankings. Nonetheless, three spots ahead of Indiana in the rankings. And Mizzou, they've just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, I guess it's their second year with Eli Drinkwitz, um, another of those you know, former Appalachian State head coaches, him and Scott mm-hmm. Satterfield down at Louisville you know, part of that rotating chain. I think they had something like three coaches in three years just because everybody kept getting hired away. Um, but I – Georgia is still, you know, obviously still very talented. I think they've had a little bit of issues kind of getting their offense set because they've been kind of bouncing around with the quarterback. They started with Stetson Bennett. They went to the um, the USC transfer uh, JT Daniels, I think, recently, who I'm pretty sure still has the starting job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, Georgia makes, again, Georgia is a defensive team, right? Kirby Smart likes to win based on his defense. Um, and that was, that's kind of what leads me to think that um, the under two touchdown spread leads me towards kind of leaning towards Georgia. Um, 53 and a half, a little bit lower than the total we just talked about with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would lean towards the under there. I just don't see Mizzou being able to do much against Georgia's defense. And I think that the dogs are still trying to figure out things on offense themselves. I would say, I think Georgia's going to win, but I take Missouri to cover that 13 and a half. And I'll take the over at 54 and a half. Money line is 530, minus 530 on DraftKings and plus 380 for Missouri. Um, I can't argue with your, you know, your thoughts on Indiana should be ranked higher. And Missouri has come out of nowhere, um, starting the season with two losses against Alabama and Tennessee, their last three wins, you know, uh, three wins in a row. And this is another postponed game as well. Um, so that'll be uh, quite interesting. Um, a, a good matchup, but I think Missouri will cover. Number 17, UNC at Miami. This In- this is good. This is going to be the best game of the weekend. You think Besides so? Besides Army-Navy. Besides Army-Navy. <laughs> Besides Army-Navy. Right? I was talking about this with one of my buddies. Um do you I mean you like it more, right? When Army Navy, it's like just Army Navy, right? It's this kind of weird weekend where it's in between, you know, the end of the regular season and, and what normally is uh championship weekend. Um they're playing it at West Point this year, I think. First time it's been off a neutral site in a while. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I, I was talking with my friend, it kind of you kind of miss the mystique of Army Navy when you have other games on the weekend. You might get a little bit distracted, but um, you know, going back to UNC Miami, this is a, a really good game in the ACC. Miami's still trying to prove that they 
should have a shot at the um, ACC title game. I'm pretty sure they're per, they're basically completely out of it by now, given that Clemson had no problems with both Pitt and Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, I, I need to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it's been confirmed that it's Clemson-Notre Dame rematch in the title game in Charlotte yes, next weekend. Is. Okay. Um, but you, because, you know, Clemson and, and Notre Dame had their final two games canceled just so yeah, could make sure that everything was good there. <laughs> um, but this is still this is still a good game, right? Two of the, you know, basically the next best two. This is like the the runners up game in the ACC, so to say. You have, yeah, you know, two top twenty teams in UNC and Miami. Mac Brown really trying to prove the job he's doing down in Chapel Hill, and compared to you know Manny Diaz, who's trying to prove, look, you know, everybody had doubts about us all year long. And we've done nothing but come out and win to basically every team except Clemson, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're trying to just prove that, look, we should be on the very cusp. Like, we're not in the championship game this year. We get it. Notre Dame's in. But in a normal year, look, that's us playing down in Charlotte and not the Irish. Um, and so I think both of these teams do have a lot to prove. Talked about that a little bit with Pitt. This late in the season, that can be hard. That can be a challenge for teams. I think it's not going to be an issue for either of these squads this week. Um, I, you got really North like the, Carolina plus three. Yeah, over under a sixty-seven and a half. So I'm actually going to take the points here. I'm going to take UNC and the points on the road. Um, like I said, I've been one of those doubters of Miami. I thought if Pitt had Kenny Pickett down in Coral Gables, they would have won. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been surprised that Miami has been able to make it this long. Um, I think Rhett Lashley and Derek King have done a great job kind of revitalizing that offense from where they were last year, but I'm just still not sold on the Hurricanes as a true title contender. Mm-hmm. Um, UNC hasn't been as good, I think, as many people had them to be this year. I mean, at one point they were like top four, top five in the country before losing to Florida State. They didn't keep it as close against Notre Dame as many people thought they would. But I think they really come out trying to prove that they are that high tier, that championship contender um, in the ACC. And they want to go put a hurting to Miami. 67 and a half. That's a big number in the total. That's a lot. That's a lot. Over. I'm taking it. Over? What? I'm taking it. I'm not backing down. Wow. Both of these teams have really good offenses. I think Miami's – and decent defenses too. You can't, you know, sleep on, you know, Chaz Surratt, the former quarterback – at linebacker for the heels or, you know, anybody across that very talented Miami defensive uh, defensive squad. But, you know, I think that at the end of the day, this is going to be an offensive shootout. So I'm going to take 67 and a half. And go over. I, I'm going to go against the grain. All right. I All think right. Miami, they've won five in a row, had one game postponed with Georgia Tech. They're playing at home. They're six and three against the spread. North Carolina's four and six against the spread. I'm going to say Miami wins and covers, okay. but I'm also going to take the over. All right. There we There's go. My now game. we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Navy at Army, the Navy midshipmen against the Army Black Knights, two days away. You already said you're excited about, about the game. Army's favorite at minus seven, over under at 38. They're playing at West Point. What excites you most about this game? And from 67 and a half to 38. 38. (laughs) 
And 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 I, you Donald know what? I wanted to see. Yes, uh, I wanted to see, and I don't see it on here. I need the over under number of passes by Navy. Hmm. I I want to find that because that. yeah, I don't. I didn't see it, but I feel like what we're gonna be at like five passes, seven. I don't know. I don't know. Both Navy especially has thrown the ball a few times this year. If it's five, I'm taking the over there. I'm risking it. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be a good game. I wish I had the like historical spreads up in front of me because this has to be like one of the biggest ones in the last few years. Um, I, the 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 history of this rivalry in recent years is so interesting. The big swing because I mean, Navy was so dominant for so long, mm-hmm. and you know, the last three years it's basically been Army, Army, Army. And Navy's trying to play catch up, which they're not used to, right? Under Ken Yamaloto. Um, but you know, Jeff Munkin has really done a great job of making that Army team competitive and you know, playing their best brand of football. You know, they run the triple option and they do it so well. And I think for a lot of teams that can be hard to stop. Navy, of course, is used to it. This is their Super Bowl, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I think Army does win. I think Army has the better team this year. Um, But I would say that I'm inclined to take the Navy points just because I think that this game is going to be as close as, you know, you would expect from such a heated rivalry. Navy has lost four of their last five. Army has won four of their last five. The wildest stat is I said that I talked about Navy passing and mostly rushing army. They're averaging 50.2 yards per game passing 296 on the ground per game. That's a lot. That's a lot. I think the game will be closer. I'm going to take the over at 38 and I'll take plus seven. I'll take Navy at plus seven as well. Yeah. I think the 38 number is always so much fun. Um, I think it's hard to bet the under there just because you don't want to root for that. You don't want to root for, you know, three touchdowns at the most. Yeah. <laughs> You're right about that. You're right about that. Um, it should be fun. And I, um, I, like you said, you know, you may not have as many eyeballs on the game as, as in the past, but, you know, being at West point will make it pretty exciting. Um, one thing that was very exciting yesterday and even today for some people good, some some schools bad, is the Big Ten changed the rules to allow Ohio State to be able to only have five wins and be able to play Northwestern in the title game. What are your thoughts on is that okay? And I'll just start off with my thoughts. I am okay with it because it was COVID. This isn't like something that just happened to Ohio State only. And, you know, they are saying, well, we're Ohio State. We're the Ohio State. We deserve special privileges. There have been way too many schools who have been affected by this that in this season and this season alone, it's okay. I don't want to find out that the Big Ten, you know, next year will do the same thing if we're not under these same conditions in Ohio State or any other team for that matter, only play five games 
or less. I think in this case, I am okay with it. And even then, they still need to have the, you know, I think it still needs to be approved by all of the, the, uh, the, the Big Ten they officials did. and school ADs, right? So it's not 100%. Yeah, they, did. they did? Okay. They did, yeah. So I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it, right? I don't think, you know, college football, right, the reason it's so magical, quote, unquote, is because supposedly anybody can win, right? Anything can happen. If an Appalachian state can beat Michigan at the big house, you know, who knows what sort of magic can happen. And I think that this is really very revealing of the true nature of college football in the modern day, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that we as fans and we as, you know, media and people involved in it at a certain degree need to come to terms with it and accept it, especially in the day and age of, you know, the changing amateurism laws, it's just the reality. And I think it's, it was pretty obvious it was going to happen once this game, this Michigan Ohio state game was canceled, right? You pretty much saw the writing on the wall. The second that that announcement was made that this change was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm okay with it for a different reason. Like I said, I don't like it, but I understand, right? I understand why it's happening. I think it makes sense why it's happening. Um, The reason I'm okay with it is because Indiana lost to Ohio state. Right. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, if Ohio State had managed to simply walk out onto the field against Michigan, then they would have been in the championship game anyways. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's because of COVID that real that Indiana was, you know, slotted to that game at that point. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's a shame for Tom Allen. It's a shame for the Hoosiers who've had such a great year. They deserve to be rewarded. I believe they will be um, in some you know, way in some form. Um, But I think that this, you know, that college football this year deserves to see Ohio state in the playoff. I think Ohio state deserves to be in the playoff. They've shown nothing to that, you know, nothing contrary to that point yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Northwestern's not a walkover team. Um, It's a good defense. Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has that team well coached. And I think it might be an interesting game for a little bit. I mean, obviously I'm, I'll pick Ohio state to win, but you know, welcome to 2020 in college football. I, and I, I love that Northwestern gets a chance. They had a, what could have been a Cinderella story if they had beat Michigan state, you know, to really be up there in the top four teams competing, but now they get another opportunity, a crack at if they can manage to beat Ohio state then Northwestern is the team that will represent the Big Ten, and that's a good thing, and I'm sure that'll make Michael Wilbon happy. Uh, let's go to basketball. Did, were something, you that, up? Something, something that will not make Michael Wilbon very happy. <laughs> not make Michael Wilbon very happy. I, I take it you watched that whole game. Oh, yeah. oh I watched that game. Yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> and I forget, I forget what point it was, right? But there was at some time – I can call a man up who will attest to this. I said, Pittsburgh is going to win this game. What? Because you started you started like 7% from the field in the first 10 minutes, and you're still only down like 11. You're still only down 9. Northwestern mm-hmm. was not able to put that game away when they needed to, and look what happened. Look what happened. It was amazing. I put on Twitter, 
pop the champagne, as I want to say, <laughs> that I was just so excited to see pop it off. Pop it off. I mean, it was just it was just a great win, and the fact that i actually have one behind me the fact that pip the final score was the first time that they led right yeah 71 70 it is, that was it. It is um credit to my good friend uh i'm trying to pull the stat up here on my phone credit to my good friend stephen thompson the pit beat writer for the pit news the -hmm. student newspaper here last night against northwestern pit set a program record for most consecutive minutes trailing before winning because they trailed for all of that game, save for the six final seconds. Isn't that insane? 39-54 they trailed. 39-54. That was amazing. And the funny thing is I was working on the rundown for the show today and watching ahead of my background here where this is where I kind of, you know, do all of my work and I had the TV on and I would just peek. You know, I just kept peeking back and forth. And, you know, once in a while, you know, I'd say, oh, they're creeping back, creeping back. Xavier Johnson had a beautiful drive. I mean, to to get it to Champagne for the dunk, I just, I was just elated yesterday. And it was really exciting to win. Um, What I'm not excited about, uh, let's see if this propels them to play better. They're three and one a season, one and oh away. Coach Case comments, and I'll just briefly read the quote here. Um, and this came after their loss to Illinois, so it was tough that some people were saying, oh, he's just saying this because they're not playing very well this season. But Coach Case quotes, uh, quote, I would just like for the safety, the mental, and physical health of players and staff to assess where we're at. We're just plowing through this. Um, he said, speaking about the sport is largely governed by an oversight committee. Quote, anything that's led by committee is not agile. People are saying the next six weeks are going to be the worst. To me, it's already pretty bad. On the other side of it, there are these vaccines that are coming out. By the end of the month, 20 million vaccine shots will be given. By the end of January and February, another 100 million. Should we not reassess that? See just what would be best, unquote, from Coach K. And for me, I couldn't disagree. I couldn't agree more with his assessment i disagree with when he decided to make the assessment right like if if you're coach k anything you say about college basketball is almost gospel right i mean it's literally he says you know the words college basketball boom front page news right there just because it's coach k he should have said at the beginning of the season we should not be playing we're not going to play and even if maybe he did say it not this forcefully as he did yesterday where we knew right we are who we thought we were to take dennis green's quote we knew we were going to be at this point there's nothing new where it's just like this caught us off guard but you tried to go on ahead and play and maybe you just should have said no we're not playing we're just not playing right ben yeah and again i wholeheartedly agree with your point on um the timing of it i think you know it's obviously it's coach k so it's going to be well worded it's going to be well thought out whatever he's saying but the timing really was not optimal for the delivery of this very important message right it was because it instantly 
um, resulted in everybody saying, oh, he's just saying this because they lost their, you know, second non-conference game and when they've only lost like six or something non-conference games under Coach K and they lost to, you know, Illinois in pretty dominant fashion at home. Um, I find it a little interesting, you know, bringing it back to Pitt a little bit. Jeff Capel had a lot of the same comments in his press availability. Um, I want to say on Monday, Mm -hmm. um, you know, before this game, before Coach K's comments, you know, I'm curious, obviously, you know, Capel, a former Coach K assistant, former Coach K player, wondering if, you know, maybe there was a little relationship there. If, you know, K heard, you know, what what Jeff had to say. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of built off that, which, you know, I don't think is too outlandish. Um, but it was a lot of the similar thoughts. It was, you know, Capel was saying, you know, look, when we shut the tournament down in March, cases were, you know, maybe half of what they are now, right? Mm-hmm. Every day is getting worse and worse and worse. And meanwhile, we're sitting here, we're getting ready to approach Christmas. And I don't know what to do with my guys because, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't been able to see their families. I'm not going to be able to send them home, you know, because there's only like a five day break between our games. They play on the 22nd and then they play down in Durham on the 29th. Mm-hmm. So basically before and after Christmas pretty quickly. And, you know, there's an NCA mandated dead period of three days in between there. But, you know, coaches aren't, you know, coaches around the country aren't going to allow their kids to go home because of all the issues, because of all the concerns with everything going on. Yeah. And so it brings it to the bigger picture of, you know, I think what you mentioned in that Coach K quote is where is the leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Because the problem with the leadership in the NCAA with college basketball and even to an extent with college football is like you said, like coach K said, it's by committee. There is no one man. There's the president of the NCA, Mark Emmert, right? Who we haven't heard from in months. I don't mm-hmm. think we've seen Emmert. I don't think we've heard from Emmert since probably early spring, mid spring around the time when the tournament was canceled, because there is, there is most certainly a leadership vacuum at the top of collegiate athletics. And it's trying to be filled by university presidents and conference commissioners, people that really don't have that much total authority over the wide range of collegiate teams. Mm-hmm. You need somebody in a almost commissioner's role for this sport, because right now there's just no leadership. And I think people like coach K who are viewed, like you said, as the kind of leaders, as the kind of spokespeople for this sport are trying to make this known. But when they do, again, coming back to the point of it wasn't the best time, it's important that this gets brought up. But I think seeing, you know, kind of the context that coach K brought it up in, it really hurt the message he was trying to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really unfortunate. And we're going (laughs) to, Hey, Sounds to me, all indications are they're just going to keep moving forward and yep. game, more games will get canceled. And, you know, I guess on the bright side, yes, there is a vaccine that, you know, people are going to start getting. Uh, the next thing that I think is going to be I'm going to be curious about is outside of the frontline health workers, should sports and athletes be next in line? Ah. You know, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess if you're going to pay for it, if you've got a deal with Pfizer, 
and you want to buy them, yes, but even then, what does that look like if you're the country and you're like, Pfizer's like, hey, yeah, uh, we've got to give all of the athletes the vaccine first. I don't know. It's going to be tough. I mean, I'd like to think they could just give it to everybody at the same time, but I guess we'll see. Thanks, Bo. Thanks. All right, coming up, we got family time. It's just my dad, but my dad, he's all into soccer. So we're going to get him on next to talk Champions League, MLS, and EPL. And EPL. We got him coming up next. All right. BetMGM is a new online sports book that is taking over the online betting nation. Not only does BetMGM have some of the best odds on all the major sports, but they also offer some of the industry's strongest weekly promos. This week at BetMGM, you can get a free $20 in-play wager when you bet $50 or more on any live NFL game. We got one tonight. Got one tonight. Or you can get up to $100 in free bets in the free-to-play pick three first touchdown NFL challenge. And as always, you'll get a $10 free bet in the Money Monday Club. But that's not all. Right now, BetMGM has a special signing bonus for the Props Network listener. All you have to do is create a new account at BetMGM and use the code JUSTSPORT20 to get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $500. That's right, just enter the code JUSTSPORT20 and up to $500 is yours in your bank account. Right? Your bank account. You must be 21 or over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. All right, so we're talking soccer. Maybe some of you want to talk soccer. Maybe some of you do not. Hi, Dad. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Okay. You got nice a fresh cut? Nice weather? Yeah. Nice weather. All right, yeah, we got mid-45s. Not bad. Uh, let's first talk about the Champions League. What, you know, did you enjoy most watching it over the past, uh, what, four days of games? You know, I know there's a break and then they play some more, then there's another break and they play some more. What, what, what's your recap from Champions League? Champions League was pretty exciting. Had some very good games um, and some surprises. Man, you went out. I guess they're, they're in kind of a disarray. I don't know what's going on there. And I'm surprised that Inter Milan went out as well. But there were, there were some, you know, some good games, exciting moments. Uh, yeah. Real Madrid had a good game yesterday in their victory. And so they're uh, advancing to the uh, knockout phase. The only thing I think, obviously, that marred the game was the racist comments that, you know, caused the suspension of the game between PSG and Istanbul, Basa Kashir, uh, Basa Kashir, did I, if I said that right. Um, I just can't believe we're still at that place in this, in sports and in this country that we still have these issues, but that would be the only thing that I would say marred what, and otherwise was a great tournament. I mean, you had a lot of drama and it was exciting. Yeah, yeah. FIFA got a ways to go with educating a lot of the officials because you got a lot of various cultural issues at play when you have so many different cultures involved in, in the game. And uh, so the, the, the referees need training, they need sensitivity training and sessions to uh, bring them up to speed on what to say and what not to say and how to, you know, advance the cause of racial equality uh, in the sport. 
and, and uh, that was, yeah. I saw the unity of the players, which was very impressive that they decided uh, because of the offensive statement towards the coach that they were going to walk off the pitch. And uh, I think that that unification there was, like I say, very impressive. And the thing is that, uh, you know, I should have said in the opening remarks, but you are a referee, you ref soccer. And in my mind, I'm wondering how you get to a point where the conversation is that heated that you would make a, a statement like that, one versus maybe referring to if you're talking about a player, just using the player's number. But it just seemed like I don't even understand how they got to that point. Um, I, I don't know. It just was bizarre from the little audio that I was able to hear. Right. The fourth official, I guess, hearing all of the comments coming from the bench. Yeah. Uh, he overreacted. I mean, it was a racist statement, and he shouldn't have done it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, him trying to point out uh, the uh, Cameroonian coach, I forget his name, Weibo, I think was his name. Yeah. Trying to uh, single him out as the one who was uh, doing the dissent that would cause the uh, team to get the card. He, he inappropriately identified him. Um, the other thing is the referee coming over should have uh, pulled the fourth official aside away from where all, everybody was and then asked him to and directly speaking to the referee to identify who was involved in the dissent. Mm -hmm. um, that probably would have been a more appropriate uh, action to you know get everybody away from the fourth official and then call him aside to speak to him directly. So that didn't happen, and you know, uh, it, it's a, a negative uh, scar on the officiating, officiating staff and what happened. But uh, now it's a learning; it's a point of learning. So mm -hmm. everybody got to move forward with dealing with that. And like I said, FIFA needs to take charge and to have sessions, sensitivity sessions, and training for the officials. I wish you could have just been there. You could have just been the fourth official. We we would it wouldn't even have happened. And you know what's interesting now with with all this Brexit stuff happening is yeah. uh, how are they going to pay the uh, English officials? You know, are they going to pay them in euros, or they're going to have to convert the euros to pounds? <laughs> the UK officials they're going to be losing out. You know, on the conversion they're going to be getting less money. And oh man. Yeah. <laughs> A lot to think about. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, moving to the EPL, we talked about the London Derby that I mistakenly said it was a Manchester Derby. Now we've got Manchester United versus Manchester City. Uh, we've got Manchester United at plus 335. We got the tie at plus 300. And Manchester City is minus 130. What are your thoughts on the game? Who do you have? Uh, United is in a, uh, they seem to be in a turmoil. Now, I think the players will show up and play, but um, City has, uh, has, I think, an edge there in coming in that they're uh, looking to show up and get three points so they can move up uh, and, then, you know, move up in the league standings. So, um, 
I think the edge is with City, uh, and the turmoil going on with United may play into some of the players, you know, not wanting or not being uh, coming to the game fully uh, invested in trying to shore up their record. And there's some weaknesses, I mean, within uh, United. Some of the defensive uh, players uh, just not seem to be up to uh, what might be expected of them professionally. And so it's going to be a good battle. It's going to be a good game. Um, I'm hoping for not a tie. <laughs> Me either. City to advance, city to <laughs> come out on with the W. Uh, Ogba. <laughs> agent saying the star needed to leave the club is quite a shock to like you talk about the turmoil and it comes at a time when Manchester United is they've got 19 points they're one point ahead of Manchester City they right. sit in sixth place in the English Premier League standings I, I you know it's just it, it is surprising that there's so much turmoil on a team that seems to you know at least on paper still have had some success um, this season. Next game, Everton-Chelsea. You got Everton at plus 325, the tie at plus 300, Chelsea at minus 30. Of course, I want Chelsea to win. I mean, I'm still yeah. bummed out. We went all the way to London, and Chelsea wasn't playing at home, but at least we got to see him on the road. So I am not complaining <laughs> any way whatsoever. Um, right. But uh, who do you like in that game? I like Chelsea's chances. Uh, of course, Everton hasn't been involved in the uh, Champions League. So, you know, they they got uh, fresh legs and all coming into it. Chelsea, on the other hand, has been involved and they're moving on in the Champions League to the knockout phase. Uh, but I like uh, I like Chelsea's chances. I think they've been, you know, they've been playing well. And uh, uh, I like the way they're, they're moving forward with their, their squad. Um, so... Uh, I give a nod to Chelsea. Nod to Chelsea. Everton is ranked ninth in the EPL standings with 17 points. Chelsea is third with 22, two points behind Tottenham and Liverpool. Let's come back across the pond. We've got the MLS Cup final between the Columbus crew hosting the Seattle Sounders. Seattle's 90 minutes away from possibly winning their third title in five years. Um, and just to recap, that was an amazing win by Seattle over Minnesota United to score that game-winning goal in the 93rd minute. Uh, a header by Gustav Svensson was just—it was—it was—it was just amazing. It was just a beautiful game. And then I kind of wanted to see New England with Bruce Arena as a coach continue their Cinderella run in the Eastern Conference. They were the eighth seed. One game away from the MLS Cup final, but they lost to the Columbus Crew one nothing. Who do you like in the final? Yeah, uh, I, I will echo what you said about that um, game between Seattle and um, I had, I'm drawing a blank on who they were playing. Oh, Was see. Yeah, the Seattle Sounders and the Minnesota United right, FC. Right. It's tough to remember. It's too, many words. it's too many <laughs> words. It's too many words. Too many words. It's just out of control. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a game, though. That was real. I watched it all the way. And uh, like you said, those last minute goals, Raul Diaz and uh, and uh, Vincent with that 
that header at the end. Man, that was really impressive. Three goals in 18 minutes. Right. All in yeah. the second half, obviously, was crazy. But in the final, we got Columbus Crew at plus 175, the tie at 205. I don't even understand why the tie is in there. There's no way a cup final is ending in the tie. So that shouldn't right. even be there. And then we have the Seattle Sounders at plus 165. Yeah. I'm I'm taking Columbus. It's in Columbus. Yes, it is. And uh yeah, I like that defense that defense with Jonathan Mensah, a fool, and uh I forget the other defender, but I like that squad. Um and they got uh Zardes up front and um I forget the other guy's name. Col the, uh, attack player, but there's Santos in the midfield. And uh I like their their chances. At home, I'm going with Columbus. You're going with Columbus. And yeah. this is their first time in the MLS Cup final. Uh well, first time since 2015, excuse me. I didn't want to say first time in general, but um yeah. it has it has been it has been a while. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, a here in DC at the old RFK Stadium. They participated in one of the MLS finals, and we went to that game back. I can't remember the dates, but uh, it was a while back. Columbus Crew coming here to, back when the Marco in the Marco Echeverry days. Yeah, and the uh, I think the final was scheduled for RFK back way back when. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, should be an exciting game though. Should be exciting. Yeah, most definitely. That Thank the you. Seattle uh, Minnesota game was the most exciting game of past of, the, of, of the playoffs. Right. Yeah, it really yeah. was, and and I'm sure, unfortunately, for Minnesota United FC, they got to go back to cold and snow and just stew in their defensive yeah. lapses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Okay, really uh, American it. football. You got some good games coming up this weekend too. Pittsburgh yeah. Buffalo. Yes, I am really excited. Uh, this is. This is like when you get to the final four weeks of the season, like this is my, not only, okay, my favorite time to watch Red Zone is really like around 3.30, 4 o'clock, where it's just game after game, boom, 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 boom. And Scott Hansen is, is really working his magic. But then when you get into the final four weeks of the NFL, oh, this is just, this is going to be great. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it will. Yeah. Good games. And the Washington football team, of course, I'm, you know. Yeah. I will be remiss if we don't end talking about how exciting that was for <laughs> Washington to beat Pittsburgh, although my. That was something. Yeah. The first my, half, I was like snoozing. Oh. <laughs> three downs on the punt. Three downs on the punt. Three downs on the punt. I'm like, what the? But the second half, it came alive. And I was happy to see Washington football win. <laughs> me, me too. It was a good one. All yeah, right, Dad. All I'll right. talk to you later. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take Appreciate care. you coming on. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, it's always great for have some family time. I say it every week. My dad and brothers, they know soccer way more than I do. They've been watching it and fans of it for so long. I'm like the youngest one here. I'm like the newbie. But it's fun to talk to them. And then I do know some things. And I have been to some DC United matches and obviously the Chelsea match. Chelsea are – listen – that was probably one of the most memorable moments that I have had with my father in, in our lifetime to just me and him in London on the side. We didn't just go to Arsenal at Chelsea. 
we literally, I'm going to put some pictures on our social media page. We were on the sidelines. We were, when there was a corner kick and you'll see a little yellow rope, we got to be right behind that yellow rope. We're not just in the stands. We were on the pitch. And that was just a wonderful time to spend with him. And two of my coworkers were there. The only crazy thing that I'll never forget is before the game, you know, our host said, okay, you, you get to watch from right here, but do you want to watch the first half or the second half? Well, my dad and I looked at each other and we said, well, we'll take the second half because we figured, okay, well, you know, it'll be the end of the game. Maybe something will happen around the 90th minute. Both goals were scored in the first half, and we just sat there and just enjoyed watching the beautiful game. But no goals were scored. But I'm fine with that because I got to experience something that I never thought I would, and that was with my dad, and that was really exciting. So it was a good time, good time. Uh, we have to go back. My dad wants us to go back because all of my brothers and will plan a trip, I guess, probably in 2022 at this point. All right, my devil's advocate. It really isn't a devil's advocate because I can't imagine anybody that I would be talking to or would be watching in this day and age would disagree. But the U.S. women's national team, they've agreed to a settlement for portion of their lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation you know, they're getting unequal working conditions. Um, the pay is not equal. They want equal pay. Um, and I think they deserve it. When you look at the way that they, ha how successful they have been with their team compared to the men's team, hands down. They should maybe even get, 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 maybe even getting paid more. I'm stumbling over my words. You tell me a time that you weren't watching the World Cup or the Olympics that you were not going into it saying that the better team was the women's national team and they went home with the gold. Happens way more than most of us ever. I don't want to say most of us more than we thought it would, but the U.S. women's national team are the dominant team. Yeah, a couple times Brazil. You'd have Germany. But I think in the end, we know that the women's national team is the gold standard in soccer around the world. So why wouldn't they have equal pay? And that's why I was like, I don't even know if it's really a devil's advocate. But then when I read some of the comments on Twitter of the, the vitriol towards the women, where it's just, you know, why do you de deserve equal pay? Some people saying they don't get it. I'm I'm looking over the comments. I'm, not, I'm just not going to read them. Like, I just don't understand why we even bring this up. And I am happy to see that the, the Megan Rapinos, you know, I, should, I always hate when I say the Megan Rapinos. I mean, bottom line is 
you know, you were just excited for the women's national team to get not just what they deserve, but it just doesn't, I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get why it took a, a lawsuit for, for them to get equal pay. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But, you know, they're, they're going to get what they should be getting. Alex Morgan, Julie Ertz, Carly Lloyd. It's about time. And it's a little too late. A little too late. All right, sports you definitely, I can't imagine you don't care about because in many ways, it's not a sport. It's simply not a sport. But I can't figure out how breakdancing is going to be a sport in the 2024 Olympics. Can someone on here watching please tell me why you think breakdancing belongs in the Olympics. And that's all I wanted to say. Maybe I should have put that in devil's advocate. Maybe I should have put in devil's advocate that breakdancing uh, is a sport. But I, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't see it. Breakdancing cleared its final hurdle to be featured in Paris. The thing for me is... It's dancing and it's called an art. An art is not a sport. I just don't get it. Everything that you read talks about music and hip hop. I would rather have found out that they're gonna allow Formula One to be in the Summer Olympics as the drivers are athletes more than I would ever in my mind ever think that breakdancing is an Olympic sport. It just isn't. It just isn't. So I went long, and of course I said I was going to talk uh, NBA futures. So I'm going to quickly go over that because I totally went against what I wanted to do with my rundown because I wanted to get dad in. I said one o'clock, we're getting in at one o'clock, but Bo and I had a lot to talk about and a lot of NFL to get through. But here are my teams to reach the playoffs, my top eight in the East. I've got the Bucks, but yes, you can get them at minus 10,000, so you're not going to go with that number. But I think the Bucks, Nets, Celtics, Heat, Raptors, Sixers, Pacers, Wizards are my teams my preseason predictions to make the playoffs. You can get the Wizards at minus 121 to make it. Pacers at minus 167. And after that, it's just bets you wouldn't take the yes at. But if you want to take the no, if there's a team in there that I would say, uh, maybe not, I'd probably still stick with the Wizards. If you want to take no at plus 100, you get the 76ers at plus 500, but I also think 
in that order where I said that's also my seeding. I think Bucks are one, Nets are two, Celtics three, Heat four, Raptors five, 76 or six. But I could see the 76ers having a great season and being the second or third seed as well. In the West, Lakers one, Clippers two, Dallas three, Nuggets four, Jazz five, Warriors six, Sun seven, Trail Blazers eight. I've got the Grizzlies out right now at minus 225. The Suns, I think adding Chris Paul for me is, and the fact that they went 8-0 in the bubble. No, it was a bubble. This is a new season. But I just think they're trending in the right direction. A team you didn't hear me talk about is Houston because they're still up in the air. You go to some of the sports books, you don't even see Houston in there to be able to pick them in some of the futures and props categories. Go look it up yourself. You'll see Houston's not listed there in some of the team's futures. They are waiting to find out what's going to happen with James Harden, if he's going to get traded or not. That's what I think. That's why. That's why. If he stays with the team, boom, you put him in there. So if Houston's in there, ooh, that's tough. I think Trailblazers are out. I think as soon as Houston, if they keep Harden and he stays the whole season, I think the Trailblazers are out. Now, again, a team that maybe you could say, okay, they're not going to make it and you can get some good odds there. Maybe Nuggets. Maybe they were had a magical run in the bubble, but there's not going to be the same when the actual season starts. And, the, you know, and again, everything up in the air with COVID, there may be an issue. But you can get the Nuggets not to make the playoffs at plus 1,400. You can get the Jazz at plus 400. Trailblazers at plus 162. There you go. My let me give you let me give you one yeah. more hypothetical before we Ooh, go. Oh, Bo, Bo's jumping in. Okay. All right. If you want to talk yeses and nos, James Harden to get traded plus four hundred. You taking that? Ooh. Yes, I'm taking that. Okay. I think that the fact that he was a no show for the first two practices and he's just now taking the COVID tests and he's got to wait what is it he's got to, to six, pass six more six tests consecutive negative tests you know what i vote that harden is the first one that should get the vaccine and just let him <laughs> just give, just give him the vaccine right for, now for all the benefit of houston's uh small businesses so to say Yes, because the thing is, if you think about what Houston is going through right now, that they're being, for lack of a better term, held hostage by Harden, who, you know, Coach Silas is just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Steven's just like, I look, just I here, man. the test, right. <laughs> I'm sure this is not the way he wanted to have his first job start. But I think if you going ahead, hey, let's give Harden the, the vaccine, let him practice, let teams see him play, which I don't know why they need to see him play. They know who they're going to get in Harden and just trade him. The problem is I'm taking that number because I like the plus 400. But realistically, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm not giving up all of those young assets 
because then they don't have a bench. They just have three great starters, but they are giving up their entire future. And I think how surly, which I feel like he always is surly, that um, um, Kevin Durant has been when people are asking him about Harden. I just don't know. I just don't see it working. I mean, Harden's not going to all of a sudden become a spot-up shooter, Bo. But Kyrie Irving's not giving up the ball. Not quite the same quality of reunion as John Wall and Boogie. No, not quite. Not quite. And I think Harden has the best chance if Wall and Boogie are dominant and healthy all season. Them against the Lakers? that, That, to me, is a matchup that I think they could beat the Lakers if they're healthy and they're at their peak performance as they were before they got injured. I would say most people would look at a Boogie Wall Harden lineup and say, "Woo!" Plus, Boogie's got the the inside scouting report now too. Yes, they could win the West. They could win the West if they're healthy and they play well together. But will they do that? I don't know. All right, Bo, another good show. I want to thank my dad for coming on with me, Bo, with his great knowledge in college football and basketball. I've got two for you. I've got two trivia. One is a trivia question. One is a who, what, when, where. So I got the one from Wednesday. Where did Major League Baseball hold spring training during World War II? You got an answer, Bo? During World War II. uh, I'm going to go somewhere in the middle of the country. We'll say Iowa. Wow. Okay, here we go. Baseball teams began traveling south for warmer climates during spring training as early as the 1880s. However, the federal government ordered the 16 big league teams in 1943 that conducted spring training east of the Mississippi River and north of the Ohio and Potomac Rivers to curtail rail traffic during World War II. Teams generally favor colleges and resorts as venues for spring training, including Asbury Park in New Jersey for the Yankees, Atlantic City, New Jersey for the Red Sox, Bear Mountain, New York for the Brooklyn Dodgers, French Lick, Indiana for the Cubs and White Sox, Bloomington, Indiana for the Reds. Teams returned to spring training in Florida, Arizona, and California in 1946 after the war ended. So you were kind of right. They just made them stay local. That's what it was. I was was trying to guess like non-coastal, right? Non-coastal. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe the Axis was trying to come in and bomb Major League Baseball, right? Oh, you never know. You never know. Uh, December 10th, Thursday. Who, what, when, where? On this day in 1958, just three days before his 42nd birthday, American Archie Moore survives three knockdowns in Flores Canadian Yvonne Durrell. I I hope I'm saying that right. Four times, including an 11th round knockout to retain the light heavyweight boxing crown at the Forum in Montreal. Moore goes to the canvas three times in the first round, but one of those is ruled a slip by the referee. And again in the fifth, Moore storms back and fells Durrell on four occasions, beginning in the sixth and finishes him off 49 seconds into the 11th. It's the 127th knockout of Moore's career in 204 fights. Moore will hold the light heavyweight championship from 1952 to 1962, a decade as a light heavyweight champion. Uh, That's it for the show. Thank you very much. Uh, As always, remember, everything begins and ends with money. So I hope when you're putting in your bets, you win some. 
and you thank Just for Sport for it. I really appreciate you joining me. I hope you watched and enjoyed, found it entertaining as you're watching live on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, and thank you for anyone that were listening via the podcast as this will you know, be up for Monday. You know, we got some fresh content until Monday that you can listen to. All right, that's it for now. Thanks to my dad again. Thanks, Bo. Ciao for now.